Hello and welcome to The Chess Pit, the podcast where three guys talk about chess occasionally. Today, I am joined by my good friend Robin Sarfast. Hello, Phil. And we've got Dan Gallagher with here with us. Dan, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. That's my pleasure and our pleasure. Uh, Robin, how has your week been? Have you been playing much at all? Uh, not been playing much. I actually came back from like a work thing. I've been in Leicester for three days and I sort of tied one oh, on nice. last night. So I'm feeling a little bit drained, a little bit weary, but I'm excited to be here. The chess is still too is 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 too good for me to be uh, tired. And Dan, are you playing much at all at the moment, or are you just are you just a, a kibitzer? Oh, I'm just observing. I, I've, I mean, I've, I've actually been playing really badly in Blitz because I think I'm too exhausted from just watching these games that I, I can't even think about chess in any other capacity at the moment. A quick question from me, actually. I find that when I am like really focused on like high level chess, I think it improves my game. I'll often actually fight just because I'd spend lots of time like thinking about moves. You know, if I'm watching like slow chess and it's kind of like doing analysis, basically. But you're saying that you're actually just t- like, I guess you're focusing so hard that like you're playing these games. Dan's next level, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, it improves my chess, but it improves my chess, like, post-tournament is over, right? So, like, in two weeks' time, I'll be playing great. Uh, but right now, like, no, I'm, I'm just losing all my, all my games. So, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that, is that a threat? That's a warning to anyone who's... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's, I've got four NCL in a few weeks' time. So, warning to my future opponents there that maybe I'll, I'll be playing well. Woe yeah. betide the uh, Dan's future opponents. I've got my first weekend tournament in five years in the morning. I'm playing at St Albans, so we will see if uh yeah if my following the world championship is going to help my play or or not i did do some little sparring games this morning with, with a 10 second increment but that's something we could talk about i think in a future episode it how long it takes generally for things to infiltrate from say watching a, a video or say watching a game or watching a broadcast that's definitely something that is obviously happens a lot i mean the the, the chess sphere is has changed so much things will osmose uh, more easily than they may have done uh, you know, by reading a book in the past. I think you often need a bit more time for ideas to like settle in. Like you watch a video and then it's very easy then or, or whatever, you study something and it's really, really easy to just sort of see that motif everywhere, even if it's like not there. And it takes a while for it to sort of then fade into like being equally sort of considered with you know other ideas or, or whatever you you often you 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 find you look at something and then you just kind of want to just do that even when it's not appropriate at least again for for, for pats like me i think with with this match as well it might be might be easy to osmo some of the wrong habits from the players playing as well so it might not actually be too useful um especially if like time management wise or yeah that's that sort of thing that's not something not things i want to pick up yeah so today we're going to follow up our episode from last week where we covered games one to four of the ongoing world championship we'll go ahead with recapping games five through nine which have uh game nine has just finished at the time of recording we're recording this on the friday Firstly, though, I would like to ask Dan how 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 it went for him in the first week. Yeah, it was it was fascinating because I went into it really with the perspective of oh it'll be an interesting match, but you know Magnus isn't playing, so I wasn't that involved as I as I usually am in the World Championship. But then like the game one was interesting, that sort of interesting rookie one line in the in the Spanish uh, sort of piqued my interest. And obviously then everything got kicked off in game two with the G file and Bishop on B7, the huge attack and black victory for Jan. And since then I've really been my main focus for the last few weeks has been on these on this ridiculous, ridiculous match. I thought Jan would win uh, going into it. I thought that Ding's comments about being really nervous and everything probably 
were ill-advised to be made. And I thought that was borne out by game two. And then just when I thought that Dane was going to collapse, then he hits back in game four. Yeah, now now I, I think that I was sort of half right. I do think that that Ding is psychologically a little bit frail, but also he's shown more resolve than I thought he would. So yeah, I'm not really sure where it's going to go. Okay, so game five we had on Saturday and it was um, we came into it at 2-2, of course. And this one is one of your favourites, I believe, Robin. Yeah, really, really enjoy games five and six, actually. These sort of long-term strategic squeeze is not quite the right word, but just uh, I enjoyed the amount of pressure that White was getting over that sort of really sustained period. There wasn't one definitive moment where everything fell apart for either of the losing sides, but it's just their lives were made virtually impossible. We've obviously seen loads of like, like White's had pressure in basically every single game, apart from like Ding's first loss. Uh, and I think that might be because they're just changing around so much. They're not really dealt, like really examining one variation where they've really, really like basically analysed it to death. They're hopping around loads. And, and actually, you know, chess is pretty hard for Black if you're playing like White, who's like, pretty well prepared and you and you don't have that same level of preparation and uh, that's really coming across which is which is great stuff I mean it does make a it's almost <laughs> in a weird way it's almost like predictable but it's just predictable that there's going to be some some excitement it's uh but that's like a good type of predictability yeah and Dan I mean the moments that have decided these games I mean this in game five we had what was going to promise to be a fairly spectacular mating attack by Nepo I mean in the end he transposed into a a uh, a little uh, one ending instead but I feel like Ding has not been making particularly good pawn moves in general i feel like this is something that we've we, there's been a pattern where he didn't anticipate pawn takes um bishop or sorry pawn takes knight in whatever it was game two um and then in this we had a one where he just let nepo in by the looks of it yeah yeah i thought it was interesting i mean as far as i remember of game five the key moment was uh where he let nepo play this like queen e4 move that established this uh, and then queen e4 and g4 this idea like establishing this huge bind on the center and the and the king side and the light squares and after that it was just very very un- unpleasant i think what's what i thought has been really interesting is that it seems and this is it's, it's strange that this is the case but it seems that nepo has a real feel for these e4 positions e45 positions and ding is this re- real feel for the carlsbad and d4 d5 positions and they're both out competing and sort of outclassing each other in each of these different structures the reason that's strange is that before the match i thought that ding was one of the best players of e4 e5 from the black side i've ever seen um i remember he, he, he destroyed magnus on the black side, black side of, of berlin um 2019 i think and magnus was at its peak and so it's, it's very weird for the nepo just to be being able to accumulate these small advantages in in the way that he's he's doing but it makes for a better match because it means that both players being able to lead each other into territory where the other one's uncomfortable when they're white uh, and then being able to extract these good positions from it so that's yeah interesting yeah maybe the least exciting game was nepo's attempt at the qgd exchange i think he was quite he was obviously surprised that they didn't go into a nimzo indian i i think but then it was, went into it where it's, it was obvious that he's you know played it well right he's obviously like such a strong player play any position well but it was definitely like there's sort of he didn't feel like he had that like real real just elite level of nuance that you see like like you like Anish was analyzing the game and he's like yeah I've played this for a long time like this position basically this exact position for a lot of these moves and it's like yeah it's easy to just get the order of operations wrong just because it's very very subtle and if you don't play it all the time but then yeah as soon as you move back into 
His E4 stuff, he's just been, you know, lights out. We've learned to expect the unexpected, haven't we? Yeah, and I mean, I mean, this 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 game five thing was just it was just this beautiful, like from from the moment when he established that bind, this like creeping slow attack with like yeah, queen e4, rookie two, g4, queen d5, rookie four, just like slowly, slowly pushing up the up the board until he cracks away from a g5. Like I love those kind of those those kind of attacks. And I think um, Anish called Napo this sort of like aggressive positional player today in the broad in the broadcast and i think game five really demonstrates that very well it's like it wasn't that nepo was going for this like all-out attack it was just like ratcheting up the pressure in this way that was like incredibly uncomfortable for ding and quite like a, a visual way where ding was reduced to shuffling his rook about uh, on the on the back rank just sort of waiting for the the final blow to to come again another game i thought would be really psychologically damaging for for ding because it must be in such an unpleasant position to play and, and lose but then we're gonna get on, get on to game six where yeah um proves me wrong so <laughs> He, uh, he came back and just immediately played this, like, I mean, again, another of these sort of like aggressive positional squeezes and then this brilliancy at the end. Like, this was phenomenal. I mean, that just the, uh, I've never like seen a response like that from a chess commentator. Uh, so when they sort of like twigged, like Anish Giri, when he actually finally managed to work out what this D, it was what D5, was it, a yeah. D5 push, uh, what it was, what it was for. And it was, uh, and when the queen hit season, like the, just the look on Geary's face was, uh, that was like worth watching the, you know, the whole five hour broadcast just for that one moment. And that was obviously like just a, f- a phenomenal piece of calculation. And so like, if you watched that game in isolation, you would say, well, Dinger Red must be just in like the best form of his life because almost like unrecognizable from, from, you know, the player who's lost three games in this match and player who has said, admitted himself that he's like, really really nervous at the moment yeah so it's 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 like getting a, a read on 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 what's happening it's just really really like just it seems to shift day to day yeah so game six we go into it with ding one down again and my I mean, I've, I've demonstrated this game all week I, it's my favorite game so far of the of the match because of the not just because of the mate but actually because of the the opening so we have a london system that because there's an exchange of C black C pawn and white E pawn on D4, it transposes into a Caro Khan. And I'm not really sure that Nepo, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that Nepo realized that it was a Caro Khan-like structure that had been created, but he definitely didn't play it like one. And he played these weak moves, transferring pieces from the queen side to the king side with this knight C6 to E7 stuff that Giri hated. Um, so the idea of the Caro Khan is you get this pawn chain from F7 to D5, and that aims at the queen side and we should have things going over there and a6 b5 and stuff should happen and he never got it in and then it was just under pressure for the rest of the game and ding converted it like a champ this thing i think is was quite instructive how you know a d4 opening can quite easily transpose to an e4 uh style opening uh just with the exchange of pawns and how yeah i've been as a karakhan player myself and i may or may not teach my students to play the karakhan as well um how this little dynamic this dynamic shift in the opening to playing it slightly differently uh, from how you may normally play a London um, yeah. came about, and I, I, I really, I really enjoyed that little, that little sort of wrinkle from the opening. It makes sense though, right? Because he, they played basically, they like played the other side of this position, but then also with colours reversed, like previously with the with this exchange QGD, and so it kind of makes sense that again that Carlsbad structure just really favoured like understanding wise really favored ding and it's sort of almost surprised that yan went for this variation with that exchange on on that basis because it obviously just gave ding around a position which he, he said himself he wanted to play just a position that he felt that he knew really really well and he got exactly that so 
yeah, that was it seemed to be like a surprising choice from from Nepo. I guess he obviously just again wasn't expecting it right now. And when 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 we got that, you know, there was a after night F three, we got this uh, sort of well, surely he's not going to play a London thing. And then he when he, when Bishop F four came, he's like, okay, no, he is. You know, but you're, that's a really salient point, the one that you made though, because people um newer players have to play the London because in 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 sort of in theory you don't need so much theory, right? You just sort of try out the system, but then actually being attuned to to when uh, to the sort of the the having an understanding of like the, when when it's no longer really a London in 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 that sense actually is is like massively important as soon as you play anyone who has like just sort of like a like a sort of broad understanding of pawn structures and like a recognition of like okay I'm playing this this other opening that I know. Dan, um, did you? I mean, do you think that's that's Ding's best performance so far, the one in Game Six? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, the thing that I found really interesting about it as well. So I, I I love I love games like aesthetically I love games where they have some clear positional long term strategy and it gets executed because that is, it's kind of very rare very, very rare that that happens because you know players are very good and they stop that happening <laughs> basically but Yan. Uh, it's a combination between Yan just not being quite feeling the position properly and Ding being so, so on form in that game that Ding was able to execute this like long-term dark square positional idea, which I which I, I find really, really interesting. Like you sort of, it's like, you know, you uh, you put uh, pawns on dark squares, you make white put their, that, you make black put their pawns on light squares, you swap off the, the, the bishops, the, the dark square bishops to weaken the dark squares. And then you create this bind on the c5 and b6 squares. You establish your knight on c5, and then you convert that into other into other advantages. And it's it's such this like this all of the his play is just so logical and so beautiful because it's all directed at this like just taking control of the dark of the dark squares. I mean, the reason I liked that so much was because I recently had a game in the four CL against Jonathan Rousen, um, which I which I drew. From, from a position of strength. It was an interesting game. But the, but the, the, re- the reason I managed to draw or like get a good position was because I was able to execute a very, very similar dark square strategy against him, taking control of the, que- the queen side dark squares, basically, or central and queen side dark squares, in a, or in a, in actually in a carrow. Uh, so, you know, more or less the same opening for various different reasons. And so, yeah, like it, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's an idea that's, that I've been thinking about recently because of that game. And then it's nice to see it executed also in, in, in the World Championship. People often talk about the fact that studying sort of older, like, like classic, like GM games, you know, like Lasker, Tarash, um, Capablanca, these sorts of, that is, is sort of more useful to a, to an improving sort of like amateur player, because you do get to see these ideas executed more crisply because there hasn't been the sort of like level of preparation against them. And so, you know, like Nimzo Indian classic example where you attack this uh, trait, you double these pawns, and then you just go knight bishop and gang up on the uh, gang up on the c pawn. And but clearly now there's going to be you know re- you rarely these days will get to see that actual plan executed where like uh, well, clearly white's not going to play into that opening and then just drop lose that pawn and lose the game based on that anymore. But uh, here you are actually getting to see yeah as you say these these the, the execution of these ideas like this control of the d5 square in in game five right was the key thing. So it was even before you mentioned this queenie four g4 bind but it was also when when the bishop on b7 was exchanged that was like this d5 square is now forever forever belongs to white and that was um and that that told basically for the rest of the game essentially uh ding was just playing on the margins of the board for the rest of the for, for the rest of that one that 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 is really really nice and it does give us sort of a sense of um presumably adding more ammo for, for for you guys like teaching right compared to you know some of the you know you're not wanting to show all of these like conversely all of these uh you know magnus nepo like uh Mar- like anti-marshals where it's just like just you know prep until like move 28 and then it's like a really really like almost non-existent edge for white it's um talking about richness for teaching um i think game seven 
gave us another moment. I mean, the game up until then had been chaotic. I don't think there's there's much that we can really add to the discussion of the exchange sack and the chaos that happened around uh, between moves 15 and 25. Admittedly, from a French, it was an interesting French, a Tarash French. But then this this moment uh, where Ding just ran himself out of time, basically. Um, and it's something that has been going, it was threatening to happen, wasn't it, Tan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh gosh, I mean, I was I was basically shouting at my computer screen and watching watching that. It was it was agonizing to to I mean, like Gary had to leave the commentary because it was just awful to to see. Yeah, as you say, it'd be threatening to happen. I think like it's it's quite clear that I think neither player, but it's, especially Ding, is really taking its toll. I think psychologically on them, it's very easy for that to happen. I mean, it's very easy for that to happen in any classical chess game, um, let alone the, the World Championship. I've 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 been there before myself. I know what it feels like. It's the 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 situation is right. You're there. Um, your clock's ticking down uh, to like you know really low low time, like five minutes, whatever. And you've got these variations running around your head, and none of them seem to work. And so you've got all these choices, and then you're like, oh my god, I like none of these seem to work. I don't have time to calculate all of them. And then you know what you should do is calculate one of them and like try to play, play like safe move. But then they just you, your your head just keeps like switching around between the different moves that are possible the possibilities. You're never calculating you're never calculating anything substantive. And in the end, the time just keeps keeps getting lower and lower. And eventually, you panic and just make a, some move that you didn't even look at. Maybe or like some move that a move that you looked at calculated deeply but realize it didn't work, you play it, you just play it anyway. Or you, or something where you made a mistake in the calculation, like, you know, it's very, very easy for things to go to go wrong that way. And it's very easy to paralyze yourself with like this decision paralysis. Like, what do I calculate? I can't move yet. I don't know what's going on. It's it's a horrible, horrible feeling. And really empathize with it. It's interesting that, I mean, this is something they've, they've done in, in other tournaments, but largely 95% of tournaments now, you will have an increment um, throughout the game. And so for this match, there is no increment until move 61. In this moment we're talking about, Ding has uh, five minutes and 39 seconds after Nepo's 30-second move. So he has five minutes and 39 seconds to make nine moves. And he just has that. He's not going to get 30 seconds added on or 15 seconds added on or anything like that. His 30-second move, the one which we're talking about, the one where you're like, I can't see anything, I'm just going to do it anyway, is essentially what happened. He spent out of those five minutes and 39 seconds, four minutes and 54. So he lets himself, even after this, even though his 33rd move was a blunder, I feel like that was it, it anyway, because he had 45 seconds to play his remaining seven moves after um, after the blunder. And yeah, it's an extraordinary concept of him just, in this case, beating himself, like Nepo arguably beat himself in moments against Carlson in the last match. That's something that, I think is much more psychologically affecting, as you say, than someone just beating you, which is what the last six World Championship matches have been, really. I think it was critically important, though, that he'd obviously also, like, and this was from from the post-game, he'd misevaluated the position. Like When he was talking about it afterwards, he was like, I couldn't find it a move because I thought I was... You know, he wasn't looking, he, basically what he was looking for was, I think, to sort of try and shake it up. Like this Rook, you know, this Rook D2 move was like quite like superficially threatening. And, you know, and because he was like, I need, you know, it doesn't really matter if the move's bad. I just need to do something that's going to potentially mix up because my position's not good. So he didn't try and play the right type of move even. If he had been told, actually, your position is you're like slightly better side of equal, essentially. He, you know, the, even if he had been so 
sort of still failing to calculate and still was uh, ending up just having to pick a move basically he would just be more likely i think to pick the right type of move something which is actually just kind of like a bit slower and just you know retaining his this pressure that he had um something like bishop bishop g5 so i think um so i think that that was like very telling and it was such a shame because he'd obviously like this exchange sacrifice he had played i mean it was chaos but he had navigated it so beautifully to to achieve that position like a better position with the french like and and, and for for quite for a while he he you know he he burnt through a lot of his time earlier so was having to sort of accelerate for a time seemed to have such a good grasp on this incredibly chaotic position and it just i don't know just went wrong for him uh with this uh with this sort of uh g4 sorry h4 g takes h4 stuff yeah like the the fact that, that he misvalued that position i think must come down to psychology uh because you know a player of his strength really sh- should realize that he's not in any like serious immediate danger there um, like I know that Gary mentioned that, you know, there may be something, you know, some long-term pro- problems there, but I don't think any of the strong commentators, even any of the strong GMs, like like kibitzing on Twitter or whatever, none of them were under the impression, like even at a glance that Black was, you know, suffering in those positions. And so I, I think it's really like a hallucination. I think if he showed doing that position and he wasn't involved in it, he would not misevaluate it in that in that way so i think it's psychological and then that in turn creates further psychological problems and then that's what spirals him into the whole yeah uh, yeah it's very self um self-reinforcing right because also the time factor then comes in right in order to if you're struggling to get a good handle like grip on the position what you need is like time to look at it and then so a lack of time means you're you know like and that's what you don't have and so therefore you're you can't evaluate <laughs> position therefore you need to burn time on it but the problem is is the lack of time is why you can't evaluate the position if that yeah makes sense yeah yeah and and i guess like segueing into the next couple games it's a shame because i think that loss did cost him at least half a point probably from the next two uh if you look at the next game which is game eight yes uh where he plays as nimzo i think that the reason he doesn't win that game is because he's burnt from the previous running out of time and then plays move to plays too quickly in the crucial moments of the of of this this next game and if he'd not done that he would have won but as it is he messes up and and trusts his opponent doesn't calculate enough and draws. Rook, rook d3 is not like a impossible move to find by any stretch of the imagination for someone no. like that it's just it's a pretty like pretty direct threat that's just essentially impossible to refute uh well refute in any sort of decent terms for black so it's a uh, yeah that does feel like a like that's I think impossible to say that's anything other than he psyched himself out on the time front for that move. Um, and, I, and I think that that's, uh, that's, that's the first time it's like, I guess, having it been unpredictable and it's, it's just starting to be maybe the emergence of like uh, someone sort of getting a stranglehold on the like, the sort of uh, the flow of the match. But Nepo sort of, he, he just seems to be a bit, have a bit of a better like groove now based on that. Game eight, we should just sum up exactly what happened. There were two moments, weren't there, where one thing misses this, fairly as robin says i think it's doable i think it's a possible move to spot like one of my eight-year-olds spotted it in in the class yesterday when i showed them um a way of replacing a rook on the h file to basically have a win the queen i want to talk more about the second moment which is where this unbelievable bluff that actually is just you know if you look at the computer it'll give it two question marks realistically a good exclamation mark maybe more and just the only possible try from nepo to do anything where he threatens this supposed perpetual and ding just got out of the way of it in he had 24 minutes left this is another thing it's exactly the same moment he has nine minutes nine moves left before the time control 
So you're saying about he was being burned by the previous thing. It's identical. It's move 32. And he spent two out of 24 minutes on just decided that Nepo had this way of getting out. And he just, yeah, he just beat himself again, didn't he, Dan? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think that uh, yeah, people were saying, you know, this is like this really long line and, you know, you've got to play, find this sacrifice of the rook with king e4 and then uh, your king walks up to e5 and stuff. But, you know, I really don't think it's superhuman. I actually think it's less superhuman than rook d3 in a way, because, you know, you realize in that position that if you get out of the checks, you win because you've got to, you're, you're not only material up, but also you're queening. So all you need to do is escape the checks. But um, the thing is, if that, isn't it, is that versus if you don't, take the rook which is offered to you by nepo then it's probably a draw anyway so you might as well just from a game sort of sort of a logical perspective you might as well i mean clearly the whole point was ding was out of his head um just with worry um if it's the two minutes isn't it out of the 24 if he spent 10 minutes and then played king d1 i think we'd forgive him because it's a thing where he just hasn't seen that there's a way out but the gamification of it is that if you don't try to avoid the perpetual and it's a perpetual then fair enough but if you do then it's probably a draw anyway so it, it doesn't really didn't really make much sense to me from a i mean yeah but th- this is the thing you're making with chucking rational decisions at, at this point a very irrational man <laughs> yeah see yeah. The, the the difference here sorry dan the difference here is also that he has you can afford to burn that time because you know you can if you if you can't find it or if it, you know in the worst situation you can just play king you can just very quickly play king d1 anyway so it's the other game it sort of makes sense he thought his position was worse so he's kind of burnt time trying to find a move that he thought was okay because he was like well if i don't find a move that's okay i might lose here whereas this one it's like the choice of playing a move that maybe draws or playing a move that i know is at least drawing is just from a from a sort of game theory perspective yeah you've got like you've got to spend some time there and so that is that's quite telling yeah yeah and and the line itself like is you know i feel like i would be disappointed if to not calculate that i think if i got that in a classical game with 20 odd minutes left on the on the like on the clock um and i mean especially I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed not to even bother yeah exactly yeah. at least like try it you know and I, I, people were excusing this in a way that i feel like it doesn't really warrant i think it's like a huge a huge error um the other thing about this game that i wanted to point out was this amazing rook a2 novelty in the opening which i which i mean it's not novelty i think there's some uh is armenian player uh aram I can't remember which one it is, but yeah, he's played before. But it's a fantastic idea of Rook A2 in the Nimzo. It's it's just this um with the rook just in every line just ends up like somehow like a magnet attracts it to the king side. And it's um sort of in this kind of superhuman way. Like you you, you never think that it's gonna end like it's got so much so much stuff in the way of it between A2 and the H file. Um and yet somehow in like all these lines it ends up like gravitating over to H2 or H3. Uh it's you know one of the best you know nice bits of opening preparation I've seen in, in a while. And it's, it had been played before, had it not? Because there yes. was a leak. Possibly someone has found possibly Ding's training account. Robin, yeah. do we think? Yeah. yeah, just 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 before we get onto that one, <laughs> really quickly, just on that, it's if you look at that that those positions like various positions in that game, right? And you sort of looked at them very quickly, but you had the engine on, and it was making these like F, you know, the like F and G pawn pushes. You'd be like, I can't see why until you then sort of see in the whole board and say, oh wait, that rook's on a two. <laughs> oh, okay. You just because you just in your head, it's just not there. Um, you know, it's almost like yeah, that's one of the ones your brain is filling in your peripheral vision for you kind of moments. But yeah, I mean, it was uh, suspicious somewhat that Nepo seemed to be like 
pretty familiar with uh with 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 these uh with this variation in spite of with what with what uh ding called this the cannonball variation which is is a name that must stick there's a suggestion here um for those who haven't noticed that there's basically some anonymous lee chess accounts with a suspiciously high blitz rating and having played games in suspiciously similar variations to the one being played have been identified the intimation of course being that they are in fact they belong to richard report and and doing their end and this is where they've been you know practicing this stuff if so i mean it's tremendously careless this is not like a the, the sort of prep gate thing with a caruana right that was clearly the fault of like some video editor or some videographer who doesn't really presumably doesn't know about chess who's just like you know just videoing and stuff and like catches a bit of this computer and you know it doesn't work whereas for ding and rich brought to like allow it like to be lazy enough to just play these games on lee chess and where they're in, a, in such a way where they are like reasonably it's reasonably confident you can identify them is a is, is is surprising and it would be a shame if we if if the if the match ultimately hinges on that because it's the the standard has been so good and the um it's it's just definitely what not what ding it's just another thing for ding and ren to worry about uh and that he's not really the one who needs something like this to happen at this stage so it's quite sad to be honest it's like as much as it's an interesting thing to talk about it's like yeah. it is a you know i think that uh it's gonna be I think we're going to be judged by that in the last five games. I think if um, I think people have, there is like a cache of, but also someone posted on Twitter earlier that, you know, it doesn't matter. Like Ding seemed to be playing the same thing today that it was in yeah. one of these games and it, and he got a draw anyway. I mean, this we've had, we guys, we've had two draws in a row for the first time in the match. What's going yeah. on? I hate it's these boring world championship. Classical chess is dead. There's uh, nothing going on. This match is a disappointment. I think, I think today's game was, it was, it is intriguing in parts, but the main bit was this knight in three versus knight in two ending, wasn't it, Dan? Where uh, Carlson had beaten Anand in a, a very similar type of ending, and there were lots of little little wrinkles. I think it, this will, if for our listeners, uh, get to game nine and the position after. Let me just find it. Move. Oh, so round move when the rooks come off. Move fifty two. Uh, move fifty three for white. Try and defend this against Stockfish with Black. Um, that's a good, it'd be a good little training exercise, wouldn't it? Because there's lots of little wrinkles in these these horrible night endings. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you know it's very very difficult to to play these. I I would lose this you know very very easily uh, to you know <laughs> you know I, I, yeah it's 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 you know night endings I've, I've, I don't I just don't understand I really don't understand them um, very well at all. I, I mean I mean the, the moment in the end game that like struck me like massively though was a bit earlier than that where. Um, Ding played knight f5 uh, to allow this exchange of knights on on f5. Right, there was a knight on must have been on e3, and he played knight f5, allowing his pawn to be doubled in this rookie game. And I have no idea. I mean, I guess you must just know that that's a draw, like with doubled f pawns against fgh. But to me, that feels like I mean, like what a weird bit of knowledge to have to know that you can and how to defend that double f pawn against fgh really really strange decision um and also like if i were nepo i'd probably just snap that off and try to win that game but yeah yeah i think it's probably fairly similar to because rook and h and f versus rook is drawn yeah so I, i'm guessing it's a similar thing to that where there's just no way to ever force your past h pawn through because there's no good way of supporting it you know there's there's two pawns looking at the g file so that would be my suspicion. It's just a kind of automatic fortress in the same way as, as that. Um, I had one the other week, actually, where I had Rook H and F against Rook and F. And my opponent at various points could have just let me take their pawn 
go into this draw and ending. And actually, there are certain lines where rook h and f against f, as I proved, are winning. But without the f pawn, um, it's a draw, which is weird. But it's yeah. it's a thing. <laughs> it's to do with the rook not being able to see through the pawn. Um, Listeners, if you're interested in learning more about endgames, Phil is available for... Uh, I have, absolutely. But yeah, I think that today's game, for the first time, we really got a proper ending, didn't we, Robin? Yeah, yeah. Um, it makes sense. I think that... So I, I, I actually... Um, I didn't see whether or not this was one of the sort of the variations that was in this sort of like cache of leaked prep. Was it? Was this sort of recognisable? I mean, it's a Berlin. I also wonder if this is just a case of like what, you know, it, what Ding's really been struggling to get draws with with the black pieces. And so it just kind of makes sense that where would you go if you wanted a, a draw? But where where else would you go but Berlin? Yeah, that's 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 true. Um, yeah, I think I think it was in the cash leak prep, but it wasn't like it was the Berlin in general was. But I'm not sure they got that deep into this specific line that that yeah. was played. Um, but the, 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 the interesting about the leak prep is something well, which I guess that now we won't expect. Like the, the one thing I think it has done is that there were a lot of games in this line of the uh, in the four knights English. So c4, e5, knight c3, knight f6, knight f3, knight c6. Uh, Ding played e3 there in game four and one. Yeah. But there's a lot of games in that leap prep games with four queen c2 there, which is very unusual um, and quite an interesting little sideline. Uh, and that's something that I would have expected us to see in a must win, maybe. And now I don't think we'll see that because I'm pretty sure Nepo is going to be, you know, booked up on how to deal with four queen c2. So I think that's probably the main thing that this leaked thing has done is that, um, yeah, they had this thing prepped and they're now not going to be able to use that. So I think that's the main, you know, issue basically we will soon find out so yeah we've got uh i mean this world championship has a a plethora of rest days and uh tomorrow is is no different we have a a rest day on 22nd of april when this episode is going out and then but we then have uh games 10 and 11 sunday monday games 12 and 13 wednesday thursday and possibly if we need it game 14 so we'll see how things go dan how can people find your amazing chess thoughts uh follow me at bishop pair or word on twitter so cool that you have that handle that's just <laughs> unbelievable isn't it i'm sure you'd be able to get money for that handle if you if you're interested in such things if anyone's coming wants has reasonable offers for my handle contact me at bishop pair on on, on twitter um, to buy it off me <laughs> but yeah no, i'm very happy with it <laughs> it'll take a little bit to and, to and robin to where can everyone find your cretinous thoughts uh i don't want people to find my cretinous thoughts phil um it, well people can find this me on do. the chess <laughs> on the chess bit podcast there's a uh, plenty of a uh, plenty plenty of um sort of a uh, really the worst kibitzing imaginable well this has been a pleasure guys thank you very much for joining me check our twitter chess bit pod to see when we're going to be doing other things but for now it is goodbye from dan goodbye goodbye from robin goodbye and it's goodbye from me phil mapes goodbye